Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Turquoise Hill Second Quarter Financial Results Conference Call. At this time, note that all participants are in a listen-only mode. But following the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. And if at any time during this call you require immediate assistance, please press star zero for the operator. Also note that the call is being recorded on Friday, July 30th, 2021. And I would like to turn the conference over to Roy McDowell. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, Sylvie. Good morning. I'm Roy McDowell, Head of Investor Relations and Communications. Welcome to our second quarter 2021 financial results conference call. Thursday, we released our second quarter 2021 results press release, MD&A, and financial statements. These items are available on our website and CDAR. With me on the call today are Steve Thibault, our interim CEO, Luke Colton, our CFO, and Joanne Dudley, our COO. This call and presentation includes certain forward-looking statements and information. We refer you to the forward-looking statements section of the annual information form dated March 8, 2021, supplemented by our MD&A for the three and six months ended June 30th, 2021. And now I'd like to turn the call over to Steve. Thank you, Roy. <clears throat> Thank you, Roy, and good morning to everyone. Thank you for joining us uh, for our second quarter 2021 earnings call. Joanne, Luke, and I will be available for Q&A following our presentation. Please note slides two and three contain our cautionary statements, and I would encourage you to read through them. I will now walk through the second quarter 2021 update and open the call up to Q&A. The only to go turning to slide five. The only Togoid team turned in another strong quarter for both from both a safety and production perspective while considering the impact of COVID-19 related challenges. The health and safety of our workforce is our top priority. Only Togoid reported an old injury frequency rate of 0.14 for the six months ended June 30th, 2021 and produced 36.7 thousand tons of copper and over 113 ounces of gold. For 2021, we are maintaining our production guidance to 150,000 to 180,000 tons of copper and 400,000 to 480,000 ounces of gold. The quarter was not without its challenges as the surge in COVID-19 cases in Mongolia and on site prompted a series of lockdowns and countries that resulted in order to go staffing level operating as low as 25% of plan at certain period during the quarter. Following the declaration of force measure announced by the company in March 2021, concentrated shipments to Chinese customers have recommenced and have begun to ramp up from April 15, 2021, with the transport team continually adapting to the precautionary measures against COVID-19 transmission risk. Audio2Goi continued to work closely with Mongolian and Chinese authorities to manage supply chain disruption. 
The force measure will remain in place until sustained volume of convoys crossing the border can meet Oritogoi ongoing commitments to customers and on-site concentrate inventory returns to target level. We continue to advance the underground development project with overall project construction remaining broadly in line with the definitive estimate and while all project-related technical criteria are on track to initiate the undercut, given the cumulative and ongoing impact of COVID-19, delayed commitments resulting from the non-approval of the definite estimate budget by the OT board, and outstanding non-technical issues related to the undercut decision, the company expects that there will be further impact on overall project costs and schedule. Sustainable production is still targeted for October 2022, and we will continue to monitor the situation and update the market as appropriate. From the financial perspective, our estimated base case incremental funding requirement has increased by 100 million to 2.4 billion at June 30th, 2021. Taking into consideration the resequencing of the open pit ore phases, the additional 2021 underground development cost impact of the known COVID-19 issues up to June 30th, 2021, as well as improved commodity prices forecast. Our available liquidity of 0.7 billion is expected uh, dollars is expected to be sufficient to fund the company requirements into Q3 2022. Moving to slide six. During Q2 2021, Olutogoi produced over 36,000 tons of copper and 113 ounces of gold with a C1 cash cost of 83 cents per pound. Production was lower than Q1 2021, from Q1 2021, due to slower mining rate and the higher grade phase 4B, which resulted in an increase in lower grade stockpile material being processed through the mill. Personal number of sites, which at time were below 25% of planned requirement, adversely impacted both the open pit operation and the underground project. For the, remainder, for the remind, remainder of 2021, it is anticipated that the mill feed will continue to be comprised of high grade, higher grade phase 4B and lower grade stockpile. However, as was outlined in the introduction, we remain on track for our updated 2021 production guidance. Mill throughput of 9.4 million tons was above main plate capacity was likely lower than, than in Q1 2021 due to COVID-19 related lower personal numbers and planned maintenance activities. Despite the COVID-19 challenges, the Oditogoy team has done a great job implementing additional controls and implementing and operating the open pit during Q2 2021 and remain on track to achieve 2021 production guidance of 150,000 to 180,000 tons of copper and 400,000 to 480,000 ounces of gold. 
With that, I now hand the call over to Luke Colton, our Chief Financial Officer. Thanks, Steve, and good morning to everyone on the call. Uh, please turn to slide seven, and I'll provide a summary of our key financial metrics for Q2 2021. Revenue for Q2 2021 increased 14% from Q2 of 2020. Gold revenue increased by 75 million, and that's driven by a 6% increase in average gold prices and a 136% increase in the volume of gold in concentrates sold, which reflected the scheduled move to the higher grade areas of phase 4B. Copper revenue decreased by 34 million from Q2 2020, reflecting a 51% decrease in the volume of copper and concentrates sold, which was mainly the result of the force majeure, partly offset by the impact of an 83% increase in average copper prices. Cash generated from operating activities before interest and tax improved by 261 million in Q2 2021 compared to Q1 2021, benefiting primarily from an increase in gross margin, as well as favorable movements in deferred revenue, the latter impacted by the timing of ramp-up in concentrate shipments during the quarter, following the declaration of force majeure, as well as related contingency measures to improve OT short-term liquidity. C1 cash costs and all-in sustaining costs both benefit, benefited from the $75 million increase in gold revenue credits. For all in sustaining costs, this benefit was partially offset by higher royalty costs due to the increased sales revenue. Capital expenditure in Q1 2021 was 230 million, and that comprised of 211 million on the underground and 19 million on the open pit. Capital expenditure for the same period last year was 262 million. Despite lower than expected year to date, 2021 capital expenditure, which was due mainly to the impact of COVID-19 restrictions and controls, TRQ's full-year guidance for open pit capital of $105 million to $125 million, and for underground capital of $0.9 billion to $1 billion, are still expected to be achieved, though underground capital in particular may come in at the lower end of that range. Turning to slide eight, Turquoise Hill had liquidity of $0.7 billion at the end of Q2 2021, which is expected to be sufficient to meet the company's requirements into Q3 of 2022. Additionally, TRQ's base case incremental funding requirement increased by $100 million to $2.4 billion as of June 30, 2021. And this increase is primarily related to the resequencing of ore phases of the Oyutogoi open pit mine. The additional 2021 underground development cost impacts of the known COVID-19 issues up to 30th of June 2021, which are estimated to be approximately 100 million. And these are partially offset by improved commodity price forecasts. Our liquidity outlook and estimated incremental funding requirement will continue to be impacted, either positively or negatively, by various factors, many of which are outside the company's control. The company continues to monitor commodity markets, the ongoing impacts of COVID-19, 
work underway to resolve the non-technical undercut and other issues, as well as other key factors in assessing its incremental funding requirements, and intends to continue its work with, the, with Rio Tinto, the government of Mongolia, and other stakeholders to source approvals for and to implement the funding heads of agreement with Rio Tinto signed in April of 2021. Successful imp implementation of this heads of agreement is subject to achieving alignment with the relevant stakeholders, which include Rio Tinto, the government of Mongolia, existing lenders, and any potential new lenders. And TRQ will continue to provide updates as appropriate on the implementation's progress. And with that, I'll hand, I'll hand the call over to Joanne Dudley, our Chief, Chief Operating Officer. Thank you very much, Luke. COVID-19, if we, sorry, if we turn to slide nine, please. Uh, COVID-19 continued to significantly impact the Oyotogo mine in Q2 2021, with constraints on site personnel numbers and domestic and international travel which adversely impacted both open pit operations and the underground project. The additional 2021 development cost impact for known COVID-19 delays up to June 30, 2021 is estimated to be approximately $100 million. This estimate includes incremental travel, accommodation, quarantine and standby costs, as well as accounting for productivity impacts. As the COVID-19 impacts remain ongoing, the company will continue to monitor them and update the market as appropriate. Despite these additional COVID-19 challenges, overall construction progress on Materials Handling System 1, which while not required for undercut commencement, is required for sustainable production, remains broadly in line with the definitive estimate and is now over 90% complete. Work also continued on Primary Crusher 1, which is expected to be completed in Q3 of this year. Specialised shaft sinking personnel have arrived in Mongolia to prepare for the recommencement of sinking activities in shafts three and four. While shafts three and four are not required to support the commencement of panel zero, they are required to support production from panels one and two during the ramp up to 95,000 tonnes per day. The commencement of the undercut is a key milestone and it is critical to ensure that once commenced, the uncut and draw point construction continues unimpeded. From a technical perspective, all lateral development and production drilling to initiate the undercut is complete, with supporting infrastructure for panel zero production on track for completion under the current site conditions. However, the exact timing of the undercut is under increasing pressure, principally due to the outstanding non-technical criteria, which are yet to be met, and also the risks associated with the rapidly evolving COVID-19 situation. Turquoise Hill, through its wholly owned subsidiaries, Asia Gold Mongolia LLC, Haruga Exploration LLC and SGLS LLC, operates an exploration program in Mongolia on three licences that are not part of Oyutolgoi. Current restrictions on people movements in the Omnagovi and Dornagovi provinces have resulted in delays to our field work, which we're planning to begin in Q3. Safety remains our first priority and appropriate measures will be maintained to protect our exploration team, contractors and the communities in which we work. With that, I'll hand the call back over to Steve. Thank you, Joanne. Uh, turning to slide 10. 
I'd like to highlight the key underground development milestone we are focused on for the balance of 2021 and into 2022, taking us to sustainable production for panel zero. First and foremost, the health and safety of our employees and local community remain our top priority. Ordu Dugoy will continue to work with the Mongolian health authorities to best manage the current COVID-19 situation. The company continued to focus on meeting the necessary criteria to enable undercut commencement. Although we faced significant challenges during Q2 2021, including from COVID-related constraints, all project-related technical criteria to support the initiation of the, uh, of the undercut are either completed or on track to be achieved. Turquoise Hill, Rio Tinto, and Olutugoy continue to engage with various Mongolian governmental bodies with a view to resolving obtaining non-technical undercut criteria and all parties remain committed to moving the project forward in a mutually beneficial manner. However, as we have previously noted, delayed resolution of the non-technical undercut criteria thus far has delayed the company expected timing for the initiation of the undercut. Decision on the non-technical criteria have continued to move forward, and TRQ is currently working to return to Mongolia for formal discussion with government officials. As Luke discussed, the company liquidity of 0.7 billion at the end of Q2 2021 is expected to be sufficient to meet its requirement, including funding of underground development onto Q3 2022, and we intend to continue to work with Rio Tinto, the government of Mongolia, and other stakeholders to source approval for and to implement uh, for and to implement the funding head of agreement. The company will continue to work with Rio Tinto, the government of Mongolia, and other stakeholders with a focus on advancing these important priorities and will continue to provide updates as and when appropriate. Before, before I turn the call to, uh, for Q&As, I would like to extend my sincere gratitude to the Olutogoy team and the government of Mongolia for their coordinated effort to prioritize the health and safety of the Olutogoy workforce and the local communities. I would like to thank you all for taking the time to join our Q2 2021 conference call and I would like and I would now like to turn the call back to the operator for any questions. Thank you, Mr. Thibault. Ladies and gentlemen, if you do have a question at this time, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You will then hear a three tone prompt acknowledging your request. And should you decide to withdraw your question, simply press star followed by two. And if you're using a speakerphone, we do ask that you please lift the handset before pressing any keys. Please go ahead and press star one now if you have any questions. And your first question will be from Oris Wakada at Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Um, Steve, can you give us a, a better sense of where things stand on the discussions with the government with respect to resolving the non-technical criteria? Like, are we at the beginning stages? Um, or are we close to the end? You know, any color you can share and, and whether it's 
what, what, you know, whether you need to split that up by the different issues uh, in terms of the non-technical, maybe that would be helpful. Yeah, okay. Uh, first, Oris, uh, I think it's important to understand that uh, over the last couple of months, we have a very difficult situation in terms of, in terms of environment, okay? Uh, we have the uh, COVID-19 that has uh, hit the site in Mongolia. Uh, there was a presidential election that uh, created a, a focus on the government on, on, on that particular thing, and we had that. Answer. So there was, a, there was a, a difficult environment. In meantime, what we've done is that during that period of time, we have uh, first progress on the, on the technical criteria, as we mentioned, but we have also continued having discussion with some of the government uh, officials, okay? Uh, and we have continued to work con uh, continuously with the government bodies to engage and to move a couple of to move the things on the um, on the non-critical criteria. So work has been done and has continued. Okay. Now um, RF is very important. I mean, everybody everybody wants to uh, are all committed to the to the project. And what we want to do is to make sure that we're uh, we're moving as fast as possible. And that's why uh, the TRQ and Rio Tinto team will be uh, back in Mongolia in August to start the discussion and continue the discussion on a more formally basis, on a more formal basis. But you should expect also that uh, the first discussion will be really to discuss the, um, the aspect related to the undercut criteria. Okay, the, uh, that will be the first one. And we believe that uh, discussion around cost and benefit uh, and uh, resolution 92 can be in parallel, but uh, will be could take more time. That's that that would be uh, that would be the view. Okay, and, and and just following up on that, Steve, can you like you your disclosure talks about that delays in these in the in starting the undercut at some point are going to have a material impact on on the sustainable first production, capital numbers, et cetera. I, I realize it's, it's not linear, but you know, at what point does that happen? Is it a three-month delay, a five-month delay? Like, when do we need to get concerned that we've reached that materiality threshold of delay? Yeah, no, you're right, Oris. It's not, it's not linear, and uh, it's difficult for me to tell you exactly if a three-month will give you a significant one. Uh, because there's a lot of activity that needs to be uh, undertaken to evaluate what will be the impact and what will be the consequences. So I, I would say that the only thing I can tell you is that we will uh, definitely uh, work and inform you when these things, uh, when we have better information and when we progress. So the key point is that we're focusing on the negotiation. We have, uh, we have the team and we're working as fast as possible to resolve it. Uh, and when we'll have uh, when we have better information, uh, we'll get, we'll update you. But it, but if this is not resolved in this quarter, let's say by the end of the third quarter, is that material or not material? No, I would. I mean, it's it's it's. I don't want to give a number, but uh, I would I would not I would not say that would be material in terms of it depends it depends on what. Uh, it depends on the dealing. You're right, but this quarter, uh, from my point of view, would not be material. Uh, okay, that's helpful. Thank you, Steve. Okay. Thank you. Next question will be from Ralph Profiti at Eight Capital. Please go ahead. 
Uh, good morning, and thanks for taking my questions. Hi, Rat. How are you? Uh, I'm good, Stephen. Thank you. Um, Steve, I want to delve into specifically the approval of the definitive estimate uh, and the budget uh, uptake. Um, and I'm trying to understand a little bit better the body of work that the government is doing to get themselves comfortable uh, with the, the the original cost overruns. Are these strictly discussions that you're having with them, um, and sort of sort of you know at, at at the table, or is the government performing things like independent economic evaluations outside of the scope of the technical report, where these go further than just merely discussions? of you getting them over the line. And I'm, I'm trying to understand what exactly yeah. is needed to convince them uh, you know, to sign off on those two specific matters. Okay, um, some, some work was being done by, uh, the, the UT board has, uh, has commissioned uh, an independent consulting uh, group to uh, review these costs and the schedule, okay? And uh, that report will be deposited uh, shortly. And uh, based on that information, the government, that will be a report that will be available for the government as a shareholder, as we are in TRQ, to uh, understand uh, more clearly the, uh, the cause and the reason of the, uh, of the delays and also the additional costs. And based on that, there are going to be, uh, that's, um, that this include will be information that will be used. I know also there are uh, definitely, or, or I'm assuming, they would have uh, they would have uh, people that would help them from the financial perspective through models to understand what it is. But personally, uh, the core of the information would be that report for them. Okay. Okay. Uh, thanks for that. Okay. That's helpful. Yep. Um, my second question is, as it pertains to the debt reprofiling, and and in the in the contingency that there are scheduling delays. Uh, and the potential to roll over into different tranches of project finances coming due. Are you limited mm -hmm. only to the $1.4 billion in debt reprofiling? Uh, can you go more, or does that risk of scheduling and CapEx strictly fall uh, on, on the potential funding gap from an equity issue perspective? Okay. Luke, would you like to uh, take that uh, to answer that uh, question? I, uh, sure, I will do my best um, to answer that question. So, I mean, just generally from a, a, a reprofiling perspective, um, you know, while we do we do provide the lenders um, with with status updates, et cetera, we we haven't been able to to formally progress those reprofiling discussions. Um, we're still waiting uh, to source the necessary approvals at the OT board level. And to get our fellow directors um, comfortable with the commencement of those those reprofiling efforts, but we are we are working hard to do that, and um, that's that's something that that we absolutely want to progress over the next few months. Um, in terms of the benefit we think that we can get from reprofiling, um, we we do still think we can get a benefit of of up to 1.4 billion. And that's just a function of the sort of um, principal repayments that come due over the relevant um, period of the incremental funding requirement. So if we are able to reprofile the debt, um, and, and our intention is still to do that, then over 
over the, the relevant funding gap period, the benefit of that would be up to 1.4 billion. So that, that remains our focus. Got it, understood, okay. Thanks, Luke. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, uh, Ralph. And your next question will be from Hayden Barlow at Macquarie. Please go ahead. Hi, guys. It's Hayden Bester from Macquarie. Just a couple of questions from me. Firstly, just on um, the shafts, particularly three and four, just interested to understand um, the timing on that. I mean, you've got, mm -hmm. assuming we get yeah. panel zero underway, I mean, at what point do those shafts need to be finished to start the development work? For, I think panel two is coming before panel one from memory to make sure that when you run up panel zero into full production, yeah. you can then transfer into panel two without slowing down again. Okay, uh, Joanne will answer that question for you, uh, Hayden. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Hayden, for that uh, for that question. Uh, so, uh, just in terms of um, shafts three and four, and and the delays that that we're seeing at the moment as a result of uh, the COVID uh, situation and impact, in particular, on travel as well as restrictions on people movement. Uh, we we don't need shafts for the panel zero production to ramp up to approximately 30,000 tonnes a day. Uh, we do need it to ramp up post uh, panel zero, and so uh, as you noted, um, panels uh, two and one. So optimisation work has been carried out to date to try to minimise the impact of delays, uh, but. You know there are limits on on what we can do with the ventilation uh, that we have, and any further significant delays could impact that ramp up post panel zero, uh, causing a delay to the increase in production beyond about uh, thirty thousand tonnes per day. We continue to work on trying to optimise uh, the work that's done with the ventilation we have. Um, however, um, the schedule impacts of of COVID-19 being assessed and they'll continue to be assessed and we'll provide an update um, as and when we are we are able to. As you can appreciate, it is a it is a difficult situation at this at this time. So you're comfortable, Joanne, that no matter how much of a delay there is on this, all it means is you just you, you don't you run panel zero. It doesn't have a massive amount of reserves in it for at 30,000 30, tonne a day and you just don't push the expansion through. Is that the main impact here or is there a risk to a slowing of production between the two panels? Yeah, so I, I mean, I guess I'd say that, you know, uh, the kinds of delays that we might be looking at at the moment uh, are not long delays. So I think that's something to really think about is that we, we have personnel on site uh, and well, in country and some on site to to uh, recommence work. And at the moment, we're planning to recommence in August. There are, you know, there are plans at the moment to remobilise uh, larger amounts of people to site, and all of the workforce working on site is vaccinated. So, uh, although we are seeing ongoing uh, impacts of COVID, uh, it is a situation that. Uh, you know, we are certainly working to try to ramp up personnel, and so the, the kind of delay that we are see, that we may see um, is something that we certainly will come back with. But uh, we, you know, we're not in the position at this stage to definitively say there is a delay. I, I, hopefully, that helps. You know, that 
we we are hoping to restart thinking uh, in August. Yeah, okay. And then on the undercut itself, I'm just interested to know how many people do you actually need on site to start that up? I mean, what, how much do these restrictions need to be lifted? And given we've seen waves two, three, four, and in some countries five, how comfortable do you need to be that you can run it and have you know, people restrictions come be put back on the business at some point and still be able to manage the operation okay? Yeah, absolutely, and that's a it's a really good question. And you know, I, I guess what I guess something that we would say is that you know there is high rates of uh, vaccination, and certainly all personnel at site are vaccinated right now. Uh, we are still adhering to, and we always will, of course, adhere to the government uh, body's requests on how to manage COVID. Um, there, you know, at the moment we are seeing on, ongoing impacts, and it. Um, in terms of roster duration, and it, and it, this requires careful management to ensure that there would be the appropriate amount of personnel and personnel with the right skills available to start undercutting activities. And so, as you say, there, you know, there is, it is certainly something that needs to be uh, considered um, prior to starting blasting and. We wouldn't start until we're confident that we can maintain staffing levels to allow us to do so safely and efficiently. Uh, you know, so while we've seen some improvement in staffing levels in recent weeks, they have been sporadic and they have varied uh, depending on the COVID situation in country and the flow on restrictions that uh, need to be implemented at the mine site. And so ultimately we will take a, a risk-based decision on this, but it is it, it is something that will factor into that. Yeah, okay, thanks, Joanne. And, and so just one last one on the government negotiations. Yeah. Um, we had a chat with, with Jacob and Rio earlier this week, but I'm just, it feels to me like it's more of a, it's just, it's everything or nothing. There's not a, phased approach here, you need to, you have to get agreement on everything and then they'll just say yes or no. Is that sort of where it's heading to? No, that's not, no, that's, I, I think definitely, uh, definitely we, we can, uh, we can resolve and move on, on some area. I mean, at short, shortly, uh, I believe. Okay. And that I'll be, I'll be able to tell you when, uh, when we'll be done and finished, but I, at the moment, I believe that we can uh, we can resolve and focus on the uh, on the cut criteria. And as I said, I mean a lot of a lot of these uh, discussion are not with the overall government uh, or the it, they're at the governmental body. Okay, and we're working very close. I mean OT is working very close to get these things moving, and uh, we see we see good improvement. We see improvement in that area, and 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 movement. Uh, and but so personally, I believe that it's not all or nothing. It's uh, they're going to be. Uh, we hope, I hope that we're going to be able to move on on the on the on the um, discussion necessary for the undercut, and then the cost and benefit and the requirement from the government. Uh, we can concurrently move on those things on parallel and uh, resolve them at the right time. But like I say, okay. we'll see. I'll be able to tell you when we're done. Okay, I mean, just a final comment. I, mean, I, don't, I don't, I know you won't comment on, on what Rio are doing, but in the discussions I've had and what they've been saying publicly, they're clearly taking a less aggressive approach with, with ESG and government relations. So whether that expediates the process, I, I don't know, but 
maybe it does result in them foregoing a bit more to the government than was, was, was going to be the case under previous management. Can I comment on that? Are you ready? Thanks. Okay, thank you. Thank you. As a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, if you do have any questions, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. And your next question will be from Dalton Barreto at Ken Accord. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning, Stephen team. Good morning, um, I just want to, I want to start out by following up on that last line of questioning there. So from a procedural perspective, on the assumption that the negotiating team uh, your, from your side, as well as the government's negotiating team come to terms, does that agreement then still not need to get approved by parliament? You know what? I'm not certain of. Uh, I, I I guess there's from uh, this. That, uh, that one, I'm, I'll I'll be honest. I'm not quite sure exactly of the process, and I apologize. Okay, because yeah, no, no worries. It's just because okay. it could add substantial time yeah. to the process. Right? Yeah, That's no, why I I'm know. asking. I I, okay. so, I understand, but we'll check that because I don't want to give you a wrong answer here. Okay. Perfect. Um, and then on that kind of same vein. If the undercut is delayed, like Oris was suggesting, materially, do you have a sense for what your holding costs would be, as well as the costs associated with demobilizing and then remobilizing your contractor force? Okay. Joanne, do you have an answer on that, or can you provide some answer on this? Thank you, Steve. Uh, so, in terms of in terms of costs, you know, the, this is something that. Uh, the projects team uh, are continually evaluating, and so uh, it is something that uh, that is being uh, worked on. Uh, you know, we would say that in terms of a cost incurred, uh, we've obviously uh, disclosed the information we have at hand now, uh, and uh, you know, from that uh, we can we can look at the kinds of of costs that are happening at the moment. Uh, Without um, you know, with the current situation and, and delays that we're having, uh, and you know, we are seeing uh, slower, slower costs uh, expenditure than than planned, reflecting the reduced work at the moment. Uh, in terms of in terms of uh, what would happen um, post uh, the undercut firing, you know, we continue, and certainly the the team at OT continues to seek opportunities to try to maintain schedule, but there will be a limit ultimately as to how much schedule can be maintained if we continue to see delays. Uh, and there certainly are opportunities that are being looked at uh, to, to, try, uh, to try to maintain that schedule uh, and we'll continue to, to do that. So that's uh, it may not be uh, the, the full the full answer that you'd like, but that's uh, that's sort of where where we're at on on costs at the moment. Yeah, no, that's fine. Fine. I mean, I already assumed the schedule is going to slip. I was more concerned around the cost. Okay, um, maybe a couple of kind of longer term questions here. Um, first, there seems to be some new language in the disclosure around uh, power supply, and you know specifically cautioning that there is a chance you may end up being connected to the Mongolian grid without Taman Togoi online. Um, how much of a probability is that? Okay, 
Luke will answer that question that um, So the the discussions on power with the government of Mongolia are are ongoing discussions. Um, from an OT perspective, um, as you can appreciate, it's very important for us to mitigate the relevant risks and to make sure that we do have um, power certainty going forward. And that will be, you know, an important focus, a critical um, point of focus for us in in those discussions with the government of Mongolia. So, so any solution, um, whatever the solution ends up being, is going to have to provide, you know, the relevant um, degree of power certainty, whether or not that, you know, the, the, the primary solution in, in um, the amended PSFA or if it's one of the alternative solutions, including grid supply, um, you know, over the relevant period of time, we're going to have to make sure that we have the sort of right backup, the ability to um, access you know, power while, while um, you know, whatever is being constructed needs to be constructed or upgraded or whatever it is. So that, that's going to be a focus. It has been and will continue to be a focus in the discussions with government around power. Um, the discussions with government around power are, are actually in process in the moment. And, and, and we, are hope, we are hopeful that we can make good, good progress around this particular area over the course of the next few months. Um, you know, certainly from our perspective, that's the intention. And, and, and you know, we, we will get to an answer that, that makes sure that, that, OT, that we put OT in a position where, you know, at all points in the process, um, OT will have stable, reliable power. Got it. Okay. Thanks for that. And then another kind of longer term question. So, you know, shafts three and four, you know, for all intents and purposes are now delayed. And then now, as well with infrastructure moving and so on, which, you know, is very reminiscent of what happened with panel zero. When will we see some sort of estimate in terms of what that's going to cost you from a capital perspective as well as from a schedule perspective. Yeah. Shalanda, would you uh, give the answer on this, please? Yes, thanks. Thanks, uh, Steve. So, uh, in terms of, uh, you, know, when, you know, what we would see, you know, we're at this stage, uh, as I was saying earlier, you know, we're expecting that shaft sinking uh, should be going to to commence uh, in the in the near future. And once we start to see the um, progress uh, uh, on work uh, and what's going to happen uh, with the COVID situation, uh, that will put us in a in a better position to be able to understand the overarching impacts. Uh, uh, to the extent there are some or how large they could be um, on the overall project cost and schedule. At this stage, we've certainly disclosed the information that we have at hand, uh, including where we are on schedule, such that we understand it. Uh, as I was saying before, the, the planning team have done their very best to continue to optimise the work that is done to minimise delays. 
Um, but, but if we continue to see shaft sinking uh, delayed, then uh, we will we will need to review what that looks like. And so, uh, you know, we don't have any update beyond what we've provided to date. Uh, but it is, it is a piece of work that we are obviously keeping a very close eye on. Uh, and we do have uh, reasonable transparency around that and are working with the OT team on it. Understood. Okay, then maybe just one last one for me, and this is kind of a more definitive answer. Um, the 137 million cash inflow the, you know, this past quarter that you've allocated or you've attributed to deferred revenue and contingency for OT short-term liquidity and funding. Can you very simply explain to me what the source of that fund is? Yes, Luke, Luke will, will handle that question for you, Dalton. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I will try to, to, to put it as simply as I can. Um, the process effectively... Um, from a, from a deferred revenue perspective is um, at the point where the concentrate inventory gets loaded onto a truck and leaves the mine site. Um, a short period of time after that happens, we receive a cash payment from the relevant customer. But the revenue isn't recognized until the final sale occurs, title transfers, et cetera. And that actually happens not when the concentrate leaves the mine site, but when the customer picks up the concentrate from the warehouse in China. So um, over that period of time between when we receive that initial cash payment and the customer actually picks up the order from the Chinese warehouse, we recognize deferred revenue. Um, so the reason that you're seeing the increase in deferred revenue over, you know, the, the, the Q2 period, it really just has to do with um, the ramp up or, you know, we, we began to ramp up our shipments again in, in April um, following the declaration of force majeure. And, 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 you know, that, you know, there have been ups and downs over the quarter, but we just, we just um, had, you know, better um, ability to get um, those shipments across the border towards the end of Q2 of this year. And that's, that's effectively what's resulted in the higher deferred revenue, new re revenue balance, you know, this quarter versus um, last quarter. Um, so in terms of what we might expect going forward, uh, we are we are hoping, obviously, that, in, and all of this is subject to COVID. But we are we are hoping that we're able to bring down our on-site inventory levels over the second half of this year, and hope hopefully put ourselves in a position where we can we can lift the force majeure. That's obviously something that we're working towards at the moment, subject to COVID, et cetera. So we are we are hoping, obviously, that 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 you know we can bring those those inventory inventory levels down over the course of the next three to six months and that will obviously re realize um you know the cash that's currently locked up in inventory so listen i don't know hopefully that was hopefully that was um no that was fairly clear and, and and i do understand the deferred revenue side i was more focused on 
the contingency funding for uh, OT short term. I was just wondering if you have kind of a separate facility for short term liquidity that's outside of everything we've seen. Um, so, so I, the the contingency me measures that I, I mentioned in the script are really around sort of short term um, working capital um, related um, measures that were implemented to try and to try and, and and bring some cash forward. So, as opposed to something sort of um, short term facility financing related. Um, but OT does have a, a small revolver that it can draw on, and we actually did draw on it, I believe, um, towards the beginning of this year or around Q1, and, and that's going to be reflected, obviously, in our, our, our financial statements for the year to date. Um, so, so it does have a small revolver that it can draw on, um, you know, just, just for mainly to sort of um, help to manage working capital. But but the but the contingency the contingency contingency measures that I referred to were more more around the short term me um, measures that were implemented over the course of of, of Q2 just to try and bring um, some cash forward into Q2. Understood. Thank you, guys. That's all for me. Thank you, Denton. Thank you. Your next question will be from Craig Hutchinson at TD Securities. Please go ahead. Good morning, Craig. Hi. Good morning. Um, you guys mentioned a plan to resume the sinking of shafts three and four in August. But does it make sense to invest in the underground work panels two and three, um, you know, ahead, or, uh, sorry, panels two and one ahead of an undercut decision on panel zero? And I guess at what point do you delay future investments in your underground to preserve capital here? Okay. Jawan, would you like to answer that question for Craig? Yes. Sure. Thanks very much, Craig. Uh, you know, it absolutely makes sense to, to resume sinking of the shafts as soon as we possibly can. You know, there's no doubt that the COVID situation has forced the team outside to really look at uh, what is the most important um, components of the schedule to progress. Uh, given the concerns that we've had around uh, getting people at site and keeping them at site and managing quarantine. Uh, so we've been focused on the materials handling system one, which of course supports uh, the panel zero uh, production. Uh, and and so that, that has uh, gone relatively well given the circumstances. It has been impacted, but they've continued to make progress and you know, we understand the, the rates of progress uh, with the, the numbers of personnel that we've been able to maintain at site over the last few months. Uh, you know, and, and shaft sinking for, for um, shaft three and four uh, is, is behind that materials handling system one work, which is, you know, some of the reason that we haven't uh, been able to progress that. But it also needs a more complex workforce because we do need international experts to provide us with assistance uh, on, the, on that shaft sinking work because it is complex work and uh, the safety is complex as well around those shafts. And we do need quite a number of people to, to progress them. Uh, however, it is very important because these pieces of infrastructure take some time to complete. Uh, there is variability around the, the, their completion timing depending on uh, the ground conditions and, and other factors uh, that are uh, encountered during sinking. And they support uh, the ramp up of, of panels uh, two and one, which are required 
and we need we, we require multiple panels to to be able to ramp up uh, to the 95,000 tonnes a day and and so it is important that we bring those panels on as soon as possible so you know that's the reason uh, why that work is absolutely critical at the moment to progress uh, you know despite the kinds of challenges that that you are raising there I hope that answers the question it does thanks and just maybe one last question for me uh, Luke talked about the force majeure what's kind of required to, to lift that force majeure I think you guys said earlier that 100% of your, yeah. your workforce has now been vaccinated Luke you want to answer that please? Uh, sure um, Craig, obviously the focus there is 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 getting the concentrate across the border um, and having enough um, enough concentrate in those China China Chinese warehouses where we have the right level of confidence that we can um, meet our ongoing commitments to customers. So um, in that regard, obviously we're focusing on measures to get the concentrate across the border more quickly and to bring down those on-site inventory levels. Um, you know, COVID's creating a bit of drama there, but we're doing our best to, to, to work through that. And, and, and we are hopeful that over the course of the second half of this year, you know, hopefully sooner rather than later, we can, we can continue to bring those on-site inventory level, levels down, get the concentrate across the border, and then when we have the right level of confidence that we've got enough, you know, concentrate in the right place um, to to meet our ongoing customer commitments, that that would be the point that we would consider, um, and hopefully we'll be able to lift the force majeure. Okay, thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this does conclude our question session for today, as well as the conference call. We thank you for attending, and at this time, ask that you please disconnect your lines. Have yourselves a good weekend. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.